Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how early birds adjust to time changes faster than night owls and what you can do to slow the loss of jungles with archaeologist Patrick Roberts. We'll also answer a listener question about why ice cubes grow spikes. Let's satisfy some curiosity. This Sunday, everyone in the United States gets an extra hour of sleep as daylight saving time comes to an end. But that's only because we all lost an hour of sleep when it began back in March. That's never easy, but new research shows that some people take it a lot harder than others. I'm looking at you, night owls. Cody, specifically. Hey, that's me. Wait, this is bad. I don't like this. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Researchers have been ragging on daylight saving time for years. It apparently causes rates of heart attacks, traffic accidents, and workplace injuries to spike. But it turns out the shift affects people differently depending on what researchers call their chronotype. Scientists have found connections between a person's sleep patterns and certain details of their DNA. That means scientists can look at a person's genome and make a pretty good guess as to whether they're an early bird or a night owl. That's exactly what researchers did back in the spring of 2019 with a group of newly minted doctors who were starting their first year of residency. The researchers selected two groups for the experiment, the 130 residents whose DNA most strongly suggested they were early birds and another 130 whose DNA suggested they were night owls. Once the participants were chosen, they got wearable sleep trackers that let the researchers monitor their sleep patterns for the first week of daylight saving time. For the early birds, it took just one day, Monday, for them to adjust their sleep schedules and get to bed on time. By the time Tuesday night rolled around, doctors with an early chronotype were falling asleep at the same time as they had been the previous week. Things weren't so easy for the night owls. Most of them were still struggling to get back into their bedtime rhythm by the following Saturday. That's a whole week. These findings are important for a couple of reasons. First, they show that daylight saving time doesn't affect us equally. That's important to know because whether or not we spring forward and fall back is a choice. In the words of one researcher behind this study, daylight saving time, quote, makes everything worse for no good reason, end quote. The study also showed that medical residents across all chronotypes are chronically sleep deprived. That's hardly news, but it's important for them and the patients they serve. The researchers did the same experiment at the end of daylight saving time on the first Sunday in November. The results come as no surprise. Everyone, night owls and early birds alike, appreciated the extra hour of sleep. Especially me. <laughs> Yesterday, Patrick Roberts told us why the world's jungles are being destroyed and what's at stake for our planet. Today, he's going to tell us how we can help. Patrick Roberts is an archaeologist and author of the new book, Jungle, How Tropical Forests Shaped the World and Us. And we asked him if there's anything we can do on an individual level to help save jungles. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost is, you know, I know it's hard in present day society, given all the challenges we face, but it's really thinking that our problems are global problems. And it's trying to steer away from the idea that nationalism is going to solve everything, because actually, ultimately, and I think tropical forests show this exactly, is that it doesn't matter where you are, but these problems are global, whether it's climate change, whether it's pandemic diseases. 
And it doesn't matter if you want to try and close your borders to everything and, and pursue your own country first policies. And I think people need to understand that right in their own everyday lives. And that is the most powerful way, because ultimately it's multinational corporations and it's governments that have the most power to change these things. But when we do look at individual um, people, there are things we can, of course, do, whether it's just if you're in a supermarket looking, does my product, whether it's shampoo, whether it's biscuits, does it have unregulated palm oil in it? Palm oil can be okay. It can be a very good way of local populations making money and keeping forests standing when it's regulated. But if it's unregulated, it can have severe consequences, as we see in Southeast Asia with massive fires and conversion of, of peat swamp forests there. And so that's something we have to be really careful about. And we can look at that. And it's as simple as just taking a little moment instead of throwing the biscuits in the in the basket, just taking a look and things like that. Wait, how do you how do you know? Does it have like a little label or something? Yeah, it, it should say palm oil certified. And, and there are ways you can look that up quickly on, on the Internet as well. There are some apps even being developed that can even you can sort of scan your, your items and, and that developed in different ways around the world. But um, things like that. The other thing is that indigenous populations, they've been incredibly crucial to developing things like food production in tropical forests, cities in tropical forests prior to the arrival of Europeans. They still are. They, they are the people that have the best knowledge of the ecology, the ecosystems, how these forests work, how they function, and crucially, how political, social change, economic change can be factored into those things. And we really need to support their application of management techniques. You know, there's some classic examples in Australia where kind of in our own European arrogance, we assume that no one should be allowed in tropical forests because we do terrible things to them. But actually, when they removed then and stopped indigenous people practicing traditional burning because we thought all fire was bad, what happened is it actually changed the ecosystem dynamics and made things worse, ultimately, when they were actually burning the forest floor to remove kind of the buildup of lots of shrubby things on the floor. Um, and they were maintaining kind of nice boundaries between fire resistant forests and rainforests. And since they, they were sort of really marginalized from that process, climates got drier, things have built up on the forest floor, and you basically create a tinderbox. Um, and increasingly, fortunately, the Australian government in particular is, is now supporting these groups to go and practice, again, traditional burning. And some of them have, have obviously done this throughout, but there's now support for them. And I think as people around the world, we can really look at initiatives like this. Coffee is another example. Some of the first organic coffee initiatives were developed by indigenous populations in Central and North America. And the problem is we think, OK, great, organic coffee. They were doing it in, in, in really great ways to maintain sustainability. But organic, the, the desire to be organic now has its own price. It's now become its own kind of brand. And they now are often facing choices as to whether they actually can even do that. They can meet this certification. And so some things that in our heads sound like they should be good are not necessarily good. And, and it's doing a little bit of research on the Internet, I think, as well, that helps with these things. But we absolutely need to support these groups because they are the people that have been advocating for tropical forests for millennia and throughout this period, even before other people got interested in it. And so I think that's also an important thing we can do and, and we can advocate for. So take a global perspective, support the local indigenous communities who know how these jungles work, and try to buy products that contain sustainably sourced palm oil. In the U.S., one app you can download is the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo Sustainable Palm Oil Shopping Guide. It's a bit of a mouthful and is a little buggy, but it has a good list of products that are color-coded according to sustainability. If you want to check out which companies are doing it right, you can visit the WWF's Palm Oil Buyers Scorecard at palmoilscorecard.panda.org. And of course, pick up the new book from Patrick Roberts, 
Jungle, How Tropical Forests Shaped the World and Us. We'll have links to all of this in today's show notes. We got a listener question from Monica in Los Angeles who writes, Attached are a couple of photos of some ice cube trays I use at work. After filling them with bottled water and leaving them alone in the freezer, within a few hours, some of the cubes have what I can only relate to creatures from the abyss, but in frozen form. But how does this happen? Hopefully this will be one you can address on your show and maybe include the photos in the show notes. Great question, Monica, and we have indeed included a link to the picture in the show notes. It basically looks like the ice cube is reaching an arm up toward the heavens. From what you tell me, I'm betting two things about the conditions here. One, your work freezer is really cold. And two, that bottled water is impressively pure. Here's why I think that. See, if the freezer is cold enough, it'll form sheets of ice on the surface of the ice cube tray before the water at the bottom has a chance to freeze. That's no good, since water expands as it freezes, and that liquid water now has nowhere to go. But if that top ice sheet has even the tiniest hole in it, that liquid water has an opening to expand through. So that water begins to freeze, and as it freezes, it expands, and as it expands, it forces itself up through the hole and freezes around the hole's edge. That forms a hollow spike filled with liquid water. Water keeps being pushed up that spike until all of the water is frozen. The result is a frozen solid spike sticking straight out of your otherwise uniform ice cube. This happens most predictably when the ambient air is around 20 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 7 degrees Celsius, when the water is pure, and when the container has vertical sides like an ice cube tray does. This doesn't just happen in freezers, though. If the weather turns freezing fast enough, it can happen outside, too. It doesn't usually happen in natural bodies of water like lakes and streams since they take too long to freeze. But spikes have been known to form in man-made containers like bird baths and pet bowls. If you want to see some pictures of this weird phenomenon in action, you can check out Monica's photo or click on the University of Toronto link in the show notes. That page has a wealth of ice spike images and videos. Thanks for your question, Monica. If you have a question, send it in to curiosity at discovery.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Before we recap what we learned today, Ashley is going to throw a sneak peek at you at what you'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Why did I say it like that? It's very weird. <laughs> I sure am, Cody. It's clearly Friday. <laughs> <laughs> gonna throw a sneak peek at you. Sure. You throw <laughs> sneak peeks at people? I'm about to. Wow. Let's do it. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> Next week, you'll learn about why the largest living organism on Earth is not the blue whale, a dark matter hunting experiment that may have just found dark energy, four magic words that could double your chances of getting what you want, a heroic experiment that shed light on the centuries-old mystery of why asthma gets worse at night, and more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. We learned that night owls, that's me, have a harder time adjusting to daylight saving time than early birds do. That's according to a study of nearly 300 medical residents who wore sleep trackers so scientists could see what time they fell asleep in the first week of daylight saving time. It only took the early birds a single day to adjust, but it took the night owls a full week. This shows that while daylight saving time is never fun, 
It affects some of us much more dramatically than others. I bet remote work has been really nice for you, although I think your remote work coincided with having a baby. So maybe maybe your sleep hasn't recovered that well. You remember when we did that story about which is more important, sleep or exercise? Mm-hmm. I'll say my reduced commute has certainly improved my sleep, but my exercise has suffered dramatically and it uh, takes a real effort to actually like get up and go somewhere. So my my goal is to go for a morning walk every day. That just doesn't always quite happen. So uh, sure, it's a consideration. It's a consideration. It seems like there's always a trade off, but it is nice that I'm at least late to fewer meetings. Not all meetings, fewer meetings. <laughs> <laughs> And we learned that jungles are being destroyed in part because we don't always see problems as global problems. But they are global problems. It doesn't matter if the Amazon rainforest is outside of the U.S., its deforestation still affects the U.S. And the same goes with the rest of the world. You can't close your borders to the climate. As an individual, you can pitch in by not buying unregulated palm oil in your food products. Make sure the products say palm oil certified or look around for apps that could help you confirm that what you're buying is truly sustainable. And Patrick Roberts also reminded us that Europeans don't always know best. It turns out that a lot of indigenous communities really know what they're doing when it comes to managing their natural resources because they're, you know, indigenous. By definition, they've been around for a while. So when you get the chance, try to support those groups that have been advocating for their environments for centuries. I was excited to learn that at least two of my favorite sweet treats use sustainable palm oil, and that is Nutella and Oreos. So good thing. Well, we also learned that spikes form on ice cubes when the air is cold enough to form an ice sheet on top of the tray before the liquid water beneath has had a chance to freeze. As that water starts to freeze, it expands and that pushes it through any hole it can find in the ice above. So little by little, that water forces itself out of the hole to form a frozen spike. The perfect murder weapon. <laughs> the same thing can happen in very cold weather, too, especially in bird baths and pet bowls. He said perfect murder weapon. Have you heard that riddle? It's a spoil. We already gave it. I already gave it away, but it's like. <laughs> You know, you walk in on a murder scene and they've been stabbed, but there's no murder weapon, but there's a puddle of water. What happened? It was a it's nice. Spike. Someone shot him? No, no. <laughs> oh, no. I already told you. Someone. It's an ice spike. It's an ice spike. Oh, they movie. were strangled. <laughs> no, they they're they were stabbed. I already told you that. Huh. They died of old age. <laughs> no, it's a. They were stabbed with an ice spike. Huh. Yeah. And then the spike melted. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, chill out. <laughs> exactly. Okay, good. The writer for today's early bird story was Grant Curran. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer and audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. Stay cool. And then join us again Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.